Hey everyone, and thank you for joining me. Um, I hope that it's been a good week for you. It's been a busy one for me. All right, I'm going to go ahead and, and jump in. I do appreciate the, the the heads up there in the chat. Someone give me the time the, the, the countdown because I had just I'd forgotten that it was it was ten. So yeah, a little bit of a late start, but not too bad. All right, guys, let's let's go ahead and jump into this. Then in that case. Let's talk about the Kuwait army, which I know you didn't think that I was going to be on the itinerary for tonight. But Kuwait is, well, a Muslim country, and they've decided that they're going to kind of go all out and be modern, right? And and come to, come to, to the side of, I don't know, do we call this enlightenment? I don't know. But in any case, it is an Islamic country, and they're modernizing, and in the... In the efforts to modernize, they're allowing women into combat roles in the military. There are just a few caveats to this, though. One is that even whilst they're serving in combat roles in the military, these women are still required to wear the hijab face covering at all times. <laughs> so they're out there on the front lines, you know, with the guys, for whatever reason. Um, and they're there wearing the hijab like they're second-class citizens at the same time, so that's something. And then the second point, the, the second caveat, is that they are also not allowed to wear weapons into battle. Uh, hold on, we're clipping a bit. Let me just turn that down. How about that? Is that any better? There we go. That should be better. You just let me know if that's a problem. Okay, uh, yeah, they're not allowed to take weapons with them, these women are not. So, <laughs> so that means that they're supposed to go to the front lines, they're supposed to serve in a combat role, and yet, despite that, they're not gonna... I mean, what are they supposed to do? I mean, do they just, like, absorb the bullets? Is that the whole thing? Because I get that women are second-class citizens under Islam, right? Is anybody arguing against that? Yes, there are some people who argue against that, but in any case, it's quite obvious from their books and from their preachers that they, they view women in a secondary, second-class role, okay. But then you're sending them to the front lines to absorb the bullets seems a little bit much even for them. Maybe not. Maybe that's just kind of Taliban-ish. Kind of is, actually, when you, when you look at some of their military strategies. Um, so that that's their idea of modernizing their military, because this is, you know, strongly Islamic country. See, what really happened here is that they announced the whole we're going to be more modern and accept women into combat roles. And then after that, this sort of pro-Sharia branch of their government were outraged. And so politicians being politicians, they decided to sort of back away from what they had originally stated they were going to do. You know, you're familiar with this concept, right? They, they decided they were going to back away. And so what they did was say, well, you know, these women are going to be in combat roles, but it's not like we're going to give them arms. We never said that. We just said... All we said was we're going to allow them in combat roles. We didn't say that they were going to have guns, guys. So, so just chill out, you know? It, we're, we're still Sharia compliant. This is actually what happened in Kuwait. And I think it's hilarious because it's like there are so many parallels to, like, you know, American politicians and stuff. Where it's like, like yeah, we, 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 we're going to, you know, we're going to work on that border. Um, and then they get some, some heat about work on the border, and it's like, well, but we're going to leave massive holes in it, so just, just chill out. You know, <laughs> it's modern politicians there. Like, well, yeah, we're just going to, we're going to find extra reasons to let them in anyway. So, yeah, uh, these women are going to be there. Disarm, but in, and, and just to be clear here, I actually don't think that women should be in combat roles in the military. I don't. Um, I... I don't think that it's a role that they should be in for multiple reasons, uh, but I think probably the biggest one is the fact that it's not good for the military. It's not good for our readiness. It, there have been multiple studies showing, and we didn't really need studies to, to show this, um, that the successfulness right, of the different platoons and so on, when they have women in them, are not as good as when they're all men. And therefore, why allow women? And then the arguments for why allow women is basically cool because it makes these women feel better and it makes them feel empowered and go women. It's like, well, I'm sorry, but that's not the basis of why we have military. We don't just let people in to make them feel better. We don't want to run our military out of political correctness, which actually is what we're doing now. Um, but in any case, that isn't the way it's supposed to be. And it's not supposed to be about you, the individual, signing up. It's supposed to be about, in that particular case, what you can sort of offer to the collective because that is the military, right? Very unique in that regard. It's like, if you want to, you know, do the woman power thing, do it in the private sector, but don't do it in the military where you're actually risking the very body that you proclaim to want to promote. 
You know, like if you want to be a woman in the military in some non-combat role, then that makes sense. But I don't think it makes sense in combat roles. It's just um, it, it undermines the very purpose of the institution. And at the same time, like there's like different sort of more emotional reasons too. But it's like you you do kind of have this camaraderie between men that you wouldn't have if you had um, women there. You have the fact that the whole point of why a lot of men stand actually go is to protect the women and children back home but anyway I'm, I'm really kind of digressing at this point um john cox says i don't think women should go through basic training with me the marines had it right when they were separate well i mean the thing is if you're going to put them together in the end then it's kind of a problem um if you're talking about in combat roles unless you're just talking about and then separating them later for non-combat roles i'm not really sure where you're going with that okay hold on Harry Nackers says women in the military get raped. Well, they do. Um, and, and there's also the, I mean, there is the point of, of course, whenever you're housing these men and women together in these different scenarios, some of that happens in, in our ranks. But there's also, you know, you're flying them into like hostile territory and so on. Um, yeah, that's just, that would actually be part of war. Yes, it's a war crime. That doesn't mean it wouldn't happen. Um, and it's the sort of thing that nobody wants to think about and, and imagine happening. But as we move at this point as we are in that direction that's what you're going to start hearing about and yet it's going to affect the other soldiers that are there and they're realizing that this is the sort of dynamic and it's really will change it, our warfare it's, it's it's a really bad idea um okay all right anyway let's move on i want to talk about canada because it it matters it's a you know it's it's a western modern developed country that should have some sense of freedom and civil rights, right? Human rights, um, even moral rights, and so on. And yet it's one that has been, well, I, I guess like, like all of ours in the past couple of years, has been kind of throwing those rights away and trampling on people. We've finally gotten a movement out in Canada of people, especially truckers, who are done who've had enough and they've decided that they're going to kind of you know fight back to some degree they, they're going to fight for their rights and and say no more and they've done so in a very frankly respectful way um they haven't done so by you know attacking parliament or or, or any of that um okay so what i wanted to show you was uh, actually i'll just tell you for now that mike lindell the the mike the my pillow guy you know infamous or famous depending on your perspective planned to send a a truck over there past the Canadian border, full of pillows um, to show solidarity with the Freedom Convoy, as it's called. 10,000 pillows was his his big plan. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a bit of a publicity stunt for himself, but also it's like just a sign of, you know, I'm on your side, I'm with you, and people like the idea that they're getting recognized by a, you know, a famous person who's who seems like a, a decent enough guy. And that truck and the people on it, including the journalist and crew members, were turned around and refused entry into Canada because they were unvaccinated. And, you know, priorities. And we've got, I mean, there is ridiculously stringent requirements on that border now at this point. Mike Lindell says they're going to be filing some extra paperwork and he thinks they're going to let them in. I would be far less convinced of that. Um, Trudeau, for his part, has come out and said, not come out, but has said that banks could freeze the personal accounts of anyone linked with these protests. This is this this is massive uh, step up at this point, um, in just the infringement of people's freedoms. Okay, so this is, I mean, I can't even imagine if, like, say, when you had the Black Lives Matter thing going on over here, even in like Ferguson and that kind of thing, if you had the government saying, well, we're just going to freeze their bank accounts and starve them. Like, nobody even thought of that. It was just arrest those who are engaged in criminal activity. And there was a lot of criminal acti activity uh, around the Ferguson riots, don't get me wrong. But my point is, he's looking over here, and that's his strategy. Um, this is the strategy of Trudeau and the Canadian government. And this is a very authoritarian uh, way to go. Talking about personal people who have a a disagreement with the government, who aren't engaged in, uh, in in violence, who are just there making their voices heard, right? Existing in in the wrong space, and it's kind of like what, what Trudeau wants to be—what the modern Sherman, 
um, let's starve them out and, you know, <laughs> burn their crops, so to speak. And it does remind me, though, it's, it's this thread that runs amongst communists, though. You know, this whole thing of let's let them starve if they're dissenters. Yeah, that actually runs through, like, the history of communism. I don't know why I'm saying this while smiling. Um, but really, it does. I mean, you, you look back uh, throughout the USSR, this was actually a strategy to starve them out. And then you get, you know, these modern instances, people like Trudeau, people like our modern left who like to use the banking infrastructure to try and starve uh, people. And they don't say it like that, right? They're just like, well, we're using the banking uh, sector to... Um, to crack down on hate, you know, these phrases like that. But whenever you use the banking system to prevent people from using uh, modern banking in the modern world, you are in fact engaging in a sort of starve them out thing. Because no one has, well, very few people, have jars of cash sitting around or, you know, buried in their backyard or so on. What we have instead are bank accounts and credit cards and debit cards, and that's the system. And it's become the system of modern control by these communists. And I think there's another instance too, there's a Vosh, that famous uh, leftist pro-pedophilic um, streamer. There's him who said that we should starve out the Russians, you know, in order to solve the Ukrainian crisis, like the entire, you know, Russian, uh, you know, country, he just wanted to just kind of uh, cut them off maximally and try and make sure that they starve. And in so doing, we can exert pressure like that is the sort of strategy that you'd expect from more communistic people and you do kind of see that um that thread is son of fidel yeah exactly um Deanne says trudeau is clearly a dictator he's acting like all dictators he's a socialist slash communist dictator well he is and i do think that we're seeing this this thread and i'm i am disturbed by how quickly it is progressing as he's sort of met his match because the people there aren't willing to stand down. Trudeau is unwilling to stand down and at least talk to the protesters, which is what you would expect he'd be doing at this point, is let's let's have a meeting and see what we can arrange and work this out. And he said he's refusing to do that. He's calling them racist and he's calling them white supremacists and he's calling them uneducated. Um, and he's threatening them and invoking emergency powers and so on. Um, so he's kind of cracking down at the same time as then then up backing down. And by the way, just to be clear, I'm not saying that these people should back down or stand down. I, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, also, one of the organizers to kind of add on to, to the idea of him being uh, tyrannical. One of the organizers of the trucker protest is a guy named Christopher Barber, who was just um, arrested. Um, so in fact, this is the video of him being arrested. I turned the uh, video down there because there's not much useful audio uh in it is just a, you know a video of him actually being arrested to kind of like show the point but this is the sort of thing that's happening and by the way the uh cbc which is you know the leftist organization think bbc but for canada um they said that he'd been arrested he's in police custody and that charges are expected well don't they know the charges has he not been charged? I mean, this is a leftist organization, so I would expect that they would be, in fact, uh, sympathetic of Trudeau in this case. And yet, even they don't know what charges and are just saying, hey, uh, we're sure that there are charges coming eventually, you just kind of wait long enough. And it's like, that's not the way that it's supposed to work. If they arrested him, then they probably had a reason. I mean, presumably, I'm being generous, I know. But if they arrested him, then surely they had a reason, and if not, they should be letting him go. Um, and it seems instead that they're, they're holding people without charges and then they're going to make up, make up charges later. And I, I think this is a really bad turn of events, I, I, I do. Um, at the same time, banks have actually started to freeze accounts uh, linked to the protests. So they're looking at these regular, again, individual citizens, individual protesters who have legitimate grievances with the Canadian government. And uh, as a result of that, they're, they're going to be starved. That's not the way that it generally is supposed to work in a Western country. And of course, that prevents them from having access to uh, to food to actually, you know, help with their protest in forms of things like gas, of course, which I think was um, the supposed aim. Uh, it, 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 <laughs> you're preventing them from sort of living, in a sense, in the modern world. And that's something that... Um, 
we don't usually do in the Western world. It also prevents them from getting legal representation when they are actually arrested. Um, J.M. Kirk says it's January. It's Canada's January 6th. Well, yeah, in the sense that you actually have a protest movement and it's being redesignated as something entirely different, as some sort of insurrection, um, so as to allow the government to take measures that it wouldn't have otherwise been made. And then you have people who have been arrested, um, who who have been overcharged and are then mistreated. So, yeah, I see the parallel, actually. Um, Christia Freeland, the uh, finance minister, said that law enforcement agencies have been gathering intelligence on convoy protesters and their supporters and sharing that information with financial institutions to restrict access to cash and cryptocurrency. So that is, um, is what they're admitting to. So they're admitting to this sort of like, I don't know, NSA paralleled um, investigation it's really it it's foreboding at this point how far they're they're willing to go okay um citing terrorist financing laws the government has forced crowdfunding websites and payment providers to register with the financial transactions and reports analysis center of canada or fintrack the government's financial intelligence unit so basically they're requiring places like gofundme um and other agencies that are, sorry, other companies that are actually based in Canada, because that's those who actually have to comply with Canadian law, to act like these people are terrorists. Again, you know, I just cited that, citing terrorist financing laws. So we've got laws in place to try to prevent, you know, you from funding ISIS. And those laws that were in place that people, by and large, agreed with, because nobody wants terrorists to be funded, um, are being used against the truckers. The peaceful trucker protest is not terrorism, is not insurrection or any of that. And yet it's being relabeled such so as to enable the use of emergency powers, at least in, in, at least in terms of um, political rhetoric. It makes political rhetoric easier to redefine these people as terrorists so as to do this. But it's, it's absolutely a, a violation. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about Australia later, guys. Um, Jonathan Lewis says when his dad that is Trudeau's dad if that's really his dad I mean you know uh, we're kind of being generous again here uh, but when his dad invoked the War Measures Act in 1970 there were actual terrorists killing people yes and these are not that uh, these are not that at all and it is dangerous to equate real terrorists with those who simply question the government and it's what you see whenever you see an authoritarian regime go too far that's what we're seeing here, and that there's, there's very little pushback from a position of power uh, that I've seen. Now, Freeland, the finance minister, said that those who have their trucks on Ottawa streets will see their insurance cancelled and their corporate account suspended. Now, effectually, that, what that means is that these drivers will have difficulty ever working again. So, um, so, so far, they're like, well, we're going to get rid of your ability to feed your family in terms of having a bank account. Um, your ability to buy gas in terms of having a bank account. Now we're going to make it impossible for you to work again in the future. Um, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, that is the CCLA, to their credit, have announced that they plan to sue the federal government in Canada over its decision to invoke the Emergencies Act in response to these protests and blockades. Right. Uh, the CCLA executive director, Noah Mendelson, said, quote, emergency powers cannot and must not be normalized, unquote. Um, yes. Yes, exactly. But you know what? They have been. For two years they have been. Right? And this is a, a big problem is that instead, for like, for two years... We've had the normalization throughout the entire Western world, right? Even, you know, here in the United States, we've had it when we've had um, governors and mayors and, well, the president, of course, all using variations of executive orders in order to say, hey, we have this emergency, therefore we have, this, we have kingship, right? We have the ability to make laws without any sort of uh, legislative process without any legislature, 
right? We can just do whatever we want because because health, because emergency, and they scream that and they do whatever whatever it is that they want. And state after state actually has laws on the books that need to be changed. By the way, you should actually petition any politicians who are running for office. They have laws on the books that actually says, well, if there is a health emergency, then we can do whatever we want with you know an executive order. A lot of different states have that stuff uh, written into the law. It, it is. I think a violation of the constitution, but that's, you know, a harder fight. We need to get rid of those laws that give um, the governors the ability to just say, hey, you know, I'm a king now because emergency, that needs to go. It's it, it's absolutely wrong. It's not the way uh, the United States was supposed to be made. And uh, getting back over to Canada, you've seen a very similar use of executive, uh, sorry, of emergency powers to infringe upon people's rights. Um, the that, this particular director, though, at the CCLA, said that the act, the use of the emergency powers, quote, seriously infringes on the charter rights of Canadians. And so I wish them the best of luck with that. Amnesty International is also speaking up about the about this use. And I'm actually, I'm also, I'm also surprised, actually, just because these organizations generally stay quiet whenever you have those perceptually on the right. Um, protesting and getting mistreated by the government, you generally have groups like Amnesty International who just kind of look the other way and pretend to have not seen anything. The um, the interim Ottawa police chief, Steve Bell, says that police action is imminent um, to end what he refers to as the illegal occupation of Ottawa's downtown. And um, so that's, that's kind of like, I mean, you, you guys were mentioning January 6th earlier, that kind of is the sort of redefining of this protest, right? The illegal occupation, um, the trucks won't leave, you know. <laughs> just another way of just saying that the trucks won't leave. Uh, in fact, I wanted to show you, actually, there's actually something even worse, uh, depending on your perspective. I saw this tweet earlier by uh, the Ottawa police. Um, Ottawa bylaw. It says, attention animal owners at demonstration. If you are unable to care for your animal as a result of, of enforcement actions, your animal will be placed into protective care for eight days at your cost. After eight days, if arrangements are not made, your animal will, will be considered relinquished. So, if you protest and then we arrest you, your dog is in trouble. Um, so this is kind of the next step. Maybe we should have seen this coming, actually. I was going to say we didn't see this coming, but maybe it's been a year or two ago, but we we did streams when we were talking about China. And one of the things that they do in China when they're establishing their sort of social credit score is they say that if your social credit score is too low, then you can't get a pet and they'll even take the pet away from you. And, you know, how do you get a low credit score? You know, engaging in um, political activism against the Chinese government, uh, any sort of religious activism, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and it really is evil, though. I mean, it's it's something I, I you know, obviously can make light of. Um, but it really is a, a twisted thing to say, you know, we're going to take your pet away from you, and who knows what's going to happen because you dare to question the government. Like, and what does it will be considered relinquished mean? Does that mean we're going to put it down? We're going to kill your animal? It certainly could. Um, we're going to put it up for adoption? I don't know. Uh, but it, it's twisted. It's the sort of thing that previously we didn't really um, see outside of places like China. And even then, it was just like, it was so extreme that it was really kind of difficult to kind of wrap your head around. It was like, but I remember when I covered that a couple of years ago, the, the Chinese adopting that policy as a sort of addendum to their social credit uh, scheme. Um, we kind of had to joke about it because it was really difficult to just even take seriously because it's just so extreme that you can't wrap your head around it. And now here we are, a couple of years later, talking about Canada and, it's, and how it's going to deal with the protesters by you know, stealing their pets. So yeah, I, I saw that and I was just kind of um, blown away by the parallels, you might say. Hold on. Um, social credit scores are big brother watching every single thing you do. Do an incorrect internet search and your score goes down. Well, yeah, because in China they actually register who's using each phone and you can actually have to use your your, your face to show your phone who you are and let it use GPS to figure out where you are before you get on the internet. It's, um, well, 
I would say it's extreme, but it also seems like it's the way that we're going. So, yeah. All right, let's move on uh, for a while and, and talk about something uh, more American-centric. Over here in, well, it's not here, but in, in Louisville, Kentucky, there was a shooting. A shooting of a public figure, a politician. Did you manage to hear about it? Because you had to be paying attention at the right time because they moved on really quickly, which is it's kind of impressive how quickly they moved on. Because I saw it at the time, uh, I, I just, uh, you know, briefly t took a quick look um, at my news feed, but I was busy doing something. And I was like, I'll come back to it later. And then I, I tried to come back to it and they'd already moved on. And I was like, well, wasn't there a shooting? You know, of a of a mayor somewhere, and so I had I had to go and and hunt it down because the the news cycle had already moved on. And I was like, well, I figure it must not have been you know a straight white male attacking someone who who was not one of those characteristics because otherwise we would still be talking about it for sure. So I already had some context of what of what was going on and and what the shooter might look like and and all of that and what sort of gun he might have been using. Yeah, so it turns out that in fact it was a democratic. Uh, mayor can mayoral candidate uh, Craig Greenberg, who was the one who was being shot at by a shooter by the name of Quintex Brown. Quintez Brown. Um, but I'll go ahead and uh, yeah, I do have him actually. Thought I didn't for a second there. And there we go. There's there he is. He is the guy who was the shooter. And this shooting took place on Monday, the 14th of February, here in 2022. And he did not actually hit anyone. He missed a lot. He did graze the shirt of the Democratic uh, mayor candidate, but none were injured, um, fortunately. So what happened was he actually entered the door of the office. He stood in the doorway, started shooting with a 9mm pistol, which is, you know, one reason why it didn't stay in the news for very long. You know, wrong type of weapon. If it was just an AR, they could have, like, used it and said, it was an AR, just like, you know. <laughs> and, and then mentioned... Um, some shooting that was not Virginia Tech or, you know. Anyway, I digress. I should stay on point. Uh, so, yeah, he, he missed a lot. None were injured. Some, who were, Somebody who was working there managed to actually get the door closed despite him standing in the doorway. Then they barricaded the door and uh, Quintez fled. Now, just two days later, after he was arrested, a bail group organized by Black Lives Matter in Louisville posted his bond of $100,000, full cash, allowing him then, as a murderer who had pled, well, attempted murderer, sorry, who had pled guilty to that charge, to be released from jail, and then held in home incarceration with a, you know, ankle bracelet. He was actually one of their activists. I kid you not. Now, Let's just back up for a second, all right? Because I've heard some people say, well, you can't blame Black Lives Matter for, for this guy just because he was an activist at some point in time. Now, that would be fair if he just happened to be an activist and then he did something that they didn't like and they did, you know, the whole we disavow thing. You could say, okay, maybe, you know, maybe there's no connection. You know, if somebody volunteers at the Tea Party one year and then the next year they go and do some shooting it doesn't necessarily mean that the two things are related the thing is that then if the tea party went and bailed out the person who you know attempted to murder then there's kind of an association there <laughs> that the tea party is endorsing that individual and even the very act that he committed and i say he committed because he wasn't suspected of doing it he did it and he pled guilty to doing it um he <laughs> Yeah, he, he was charged with attempted murder and four counts of wanton endangerment. Now, his attorney, Rob Eggert, said in court that he plans to have a psychiatric evaluation for the guy, who he says has serious mental issues, according to his determination. That's, you know, what we might sort of expect. Okay, fine. But I'm far more interested in the fact that this guy was a Black Lives Matter activist. Black Lives Matter comes back later after he gets arrested, gets him bailed out two days after he, you know, gets locked up for attempted murder. They organized the fund. Can you even imagine? I can't imagine that this guy, you know, attempts to kill someone, a Democrat, but, you know, he's white and not as far left. Um, and then they organize this bail for the, like, you know, he should be out because cash bail is just an evil system or something. That, that's, that's actually their argument, seriously. That, that cash bail should be eliminated and therefore 
um, he should be he should be released. Now the thing is that in some regards the DA kind of agreed in the sense that he thought that this shouldn't be about bail at all. But with the law the way that it is over there, they have to actually allow for bail. Um, but they should have set it a lot higher, uh, given that this was an attempted murder charge. They didn't really expect, they don't think, a Black Lives Matter group to come in and actually raise the funds. Because why would you possibly expect that? I wouldn't have expected that, and I know how bad the group is. Um, but in any case, what, what, I, I do agree with the sense that you do need a certain cutoff at a certain type of crime where you say, okay, this person is just a, a danger to society. And it's not about funds, it's about this person should not be wandering around the streets. Of course, then there's what does matter, who have a very different view of reality, you might say. Um, but the DA's office asked for an elevation from $75,000 bail to $100,000 bail, um, and they got it. And by the way, you know, might as well just go ahead and point out, this guy is black, and yet he survived. You know, whenever there's like a white shooter or even like an Arab shooter, you hear stuff about, well, if he'd have been black, he'd have been killed by the police. It's like, no, not necessarily, not unless he fired at them or something, um, which in this case he did not do. He was just found um, not too far away from the scene and they, they found, you know, a Glock on him and some 9mm ammo. Now, Quintez, during his activism, uh, spoke to a Louisville, Kentucky magazine in March of 2021, so almost exactly a year ago. And this quote that he left with the with the uh, magazine, I'm gonna have to go over because it's just amazing. <clears throat> quote: We want to take money away from the police. We want to see less officers. We want to see less money in their budget. You can't reform that institution. Defunding the police is our first step toward dismantling everything that was rooted in slavery. Because they're the original slave catchers. When black people tried to liberate themselves and become free, you had the police try to stop them and put them back in their place. So defunding the police to me means kind of like funding our revolution by defunding our oppression." Unquote. Now, that is a guy who's had way too much um, time in academia. And I don't care how young he is, it is quite clear that he has had a lot of exposure to modern leftist politics to come to any of that conclusion. And then to sort of have these, this is the sort of warped, distorted view of reality and of history. And then, you know, I mean, maybe he was mentally ill, I don't know. I've never even met the guy. It's not my, my place to determine whether he's mentally ill or not. But I will say that I think that the politics of the left today certainly provides a lot of ammunition, no pun intended, for people who are mentally ill by saying, well, you know, everyone around you is trying to oppress you. There are all these different systems everywhere that are responsible for every ill that you might come across. And, you know, you, you are, in, in a sense, noble in your fight against that. And this guy had really internalized a lot of that stuff. Um, and he would, yeah, he was stopped half a mile away from Greenberg's office with his loaded 9mm magazine in his pocket, carrying his Glock and additional magazines. So, yeah, and, you know, media moved on so fast from this one. So fast. Because whenever it's, you know, someone who's on the left, um, who's the shooter, they just cite mental issues and then just sort of move on as if they played no role in any of it. Okay, um, I think we should talk for, for a minute about Hong Kong, because I, I do feel for the situation they're in now, and I don't think it's getting any media coverage, in part because of the, of the close-knit relationship between China and our media. Um, oh, oh, and like almost all of our institutions, you know, because we have like the, the Beijing Olympics going on that everyone cheers for while they're busy stealing the organs out of their political dissidents um, and religious dissidents and so on. So, yeah, there is all of that. But right now, Hong Kong is under a supposed two-week lockdown. Um, the lockdown shuts hair-cutting places and religious services. Okay, so in other words, they're looking for more excuses to shut down religious services. Let's just be real here. Um, in Hong Kong, which is a place where you used to have religious freedom, it seems like the Chinese government is really exerting a lot of control and has been in the last six months to a year especially against Hong Kong. 
if you remember before COVID, we had these massive Hong Kong protests um, against the fact that the Chinese government was starting to sort of take over the was starting to take over Hong Kong, and the Hong Kong government were placating uh, China and so on. And those protests were, frankly, inspirational. There were people who loved America more than a lot of Californians do uh, over there and who recognized the freedoms that we have over here, truly, and were kind of almost uh, envious of it. So it, it was really kind of good to see. And then that got shut down under the auspices of fighting the virus, right? And here we are again as the virus is being used um, to, to control and is being used to thwart religious freedoms. Um, now, reporters can't report on what's going on over there in Hong Kong. In fact, we have numerous reports of um, of reporters just disappearing whenever they're critical of the mainland. Oh, mainland, I can't remember the, okay. Uh, reporters are just simply disappearing whenever they're critical of the Chinese government and are being physically assaulted. We also have the situation where there aren't vegetables in the supermarkets. They have a lot of bare shelves. There's a lot of concern about that because, again, communists like to do the whole starvation thing um, and all of that. So that's the situation over there, and I don't see a lot of this being reported. Uh, most places seem to simply be moving on as if this is a non-issue, and, and perhaps that's simply a matter of there not being enough uh, media getting out of Hong Kong, but I frankly doubt that. I think it seems a lot more likely that what we have going on is the fact that the union between our media and China is difficult to ignore and is, it is, it's absolutely shameful. It really is. And of course the union between our current White House and China also, it seems neglectful for me not to mention that one more time. And over there in Hong Kong also, <clears throat> I covered just a couple of weeks ago, the Tiananmen Square uh, memorials that are being removed in the dead of night, um, which is which is evil. It really is. And um, and for those who don't know, in China, yes, I know a couple of you are, are referencing the religious problems, the religious freedom problems over in China. For those who don't know, yeah, you can't really be a open Christian in China. You can't preach to someone who's not Christian. You can't. Uh, do that to a child in any event. You can't have public displays of worship, uh, you know, like a, a cross on the outside of a church and that kind of thing. What they preach inside of churches is carefully controlled. Those who do not <clears throat> comply with the government are shut down. They are living in constant fear. You often have a lot of different preachers and clergymen being taken off to these concentration camps um, where, you know, where they, they do the organ harvesting and everything. And to think that this is a country with which we do trade deals is nauseating. Um, and in which we're holding the Beijing Olympics. It's just unbelievable. And yet that's the state, the actual state of, of China. And it's audacious and evil that we do, that we do anything with them whatsoever. All right, hold on. Um, oh, thank you for the donation to uh, Krista Espaval. Uh, I appreciate that. Oh, and he left a super chat as well. It says, hello, Sarah. Do you think the Freedom Convoy is close to winning their fight? Um, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not really sure how, how far Trudeau is willing to go with it. Um, I, I am concerned about a Tiananmen Square-like incident over there in Canada because Trudeau seems unwilling to act like a Western civilized leader and instead more inclined to act like a dictator. But I certainly do hope that they keep up the fight of the truckers because I, I do think their fight is a noble, good one. And I'm glad to see people who are willing to, to, to fight in this case. I really am. And it does seem like they, they're planning on holding their ground, so, so good for them. At this point, there will be movement in one direction or another. You know, it's like um, Trudeau kind of has to make his decision if he's actually going to be willing to sit down with these people and have a conversation. Like they're asking, you know, they're not destroying stuff. They're just asking for that that conversation, that sit down, um, or if he's actually going to send troops in. Um, and troops could, of course, be be police, but you know, in a very militarized fashion um, to, to go against them. So yeah, keep those people in your prayers for sure. Um, okay, and 
Let's see. Um, WW says, I've never seen a super chat. Well, right now, see, um, we're demonetized from YouTube. Um, so what we're doing instead is use, there's a link in the, in the description, and there is on in DLive as well, uh, over at Stream Elements where people can leave a donation. There's a area there where you can also leave a comment and that will show up on my end it doesn't show up on screen yet um that could maybe change that but in any case that's the the current system um but i've never actually had it work before because now now it's working so yeah you don't have to have youtube to do it because as i said youtube demonetized the entire channel anyway because of a kyle rittenhouse video that i did defending him before we were allowed to defend him you know, because we're only allowed to defend him after the court ruling that said, actually, that it was self-defense. Months before that, I was arguing that it was self-defense, and YouTube came out, and YouTube was saying that, um, what was their, their stance? Oh, that I was inciting violence. It's like, no, I was, like, self-defense is, in, in some ways, the very opposite of violence, because it puts the, an end to a violent action, because that's what self-defense really is. Um, but, you know, they are leftists so <laughs> they see the world a little differently would be nice um oh i wanted to show you something actually uh that i came across um i'm not sure if i actually put this in here uh no actually i don't see that okay so moving on let's talk australia uh because we're just talking about the different uh yes that is the correct stream elements link uh okay so we're talking about australia and they've had their own protests less trucks um, and on February 12th, they had the protest there in uh, Canberra, the capital city in Australia, and it was against the uh, vaccination mandates. And in that particular case, the police apparently used LRADs, which are like long-range acoustic devices, which is what the acronym means, uh, that are used to transmit messages or alarms at high volumes and frequencies in some cases dangerously loud that can cause permanent hearing damage they did this on they did this on um regular protesters who weren't a threat they were just gathered there with their family members now the lrad has an a so-called alert function this is this is what they they call it <laughs> in the government terms but the alert function can cause brain damage, permanent deafness, tinnitus, that is like a ringing of the ears, dizziness, and disorientation. Now, the government in Australia claims that that function was never used. They simply used the LRAD function for announcements. And it's like, you can use a megaphone for announcements. They use this particular system instead. Now, further, when you look at live streams from the actual events, there are different people protesters there on the ground who were explaining how they were feeling nauseous and sick seemingly without cause now there's a different similar um technology that i know that these governments have been kind of playing with uh where they kind of use basically radiation uh to try and disperse crowds as well and it's possible they also use that in addition to lrad but i don't know um what we do know is that the government is being extremely militaristic in regards to to protesters that are non-violent, that are simply there to seek a sort of redress of grievances. And we also have the fact that these injuries that we see from the event, there's some really bizarre looking um, injuries, like, how about this? Okay, so this is a girl who has this sort of burn um, from the, that she got after the being at the event, being at the protest, and that evolved and ended up peeling and so on. And she, amongst others, think that this is a result of the technology that was used by police at the time. This is evil. This is Australia. This isn't China, supposedly. But, you know, we've seen how bad Australia has been throughout this process, especially in places like Melbourne. I really um, feel for the people who, who were there. And injuries like this um, aren't normal right this is not what you would expect to see and when i um when i say that the protest over there uh was peaceful that's not just me saying so the the police report on the whole incident was that this was actually an entirely non-violent non event tens of thousands were there they made like two arrests and and that was it so why were they using these military methods to try and deal with the crowd 
um, that there isn't a justification to it. And you notice that the the people that usually would speak out against the militarization of the police in cases like Ferguson, in cases like Black Lives Matter rioting, don't talk about any of that now. Like now, when you have military tech being used at regular protests that aren't violent, that aren't, you know, riotous, instead, now they're, now they're silent. Now those people are mute. Like, why? <laughs> oh, we know why. We know why. That the selective outrage uh, is reserved. Um, troll with a purpose says, because the other protests were to give more power to the government. Yes, that's absolutely right. And um, I think people sometimes forget just how bad some of these uh, Black Lives Matter riots were, especially in like, places like Ferguson. That was um, really intense for a while. I mean, they were burning down their own communities. But uh, regardless, um, it was it was incredibly violent, incredibly dangerous for just normal people who wanted to just live there. Um, and I think it's easy to sort of forget and move on. And now, you know, you hear about smaller scale protests like January 6th, and it gets renamed as an insurrection. I'm like, do you remember? Like, do you remember 2016 or 2020? And it's always interesting how the election years, um, things get particularly bad. You know, not like anyone's funding them or anything, but, you know, just happens on the election years, they decide to start burning cities down. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but I'm going to read your comment. It says, I can remember back in the 1990s with the Patriot Act that lots of people were warning us that we are that what we are seeing now is what it would come to, but they were called loons and conspiracy nuts then. Yeah, although the Patriot Act came after, um, after the Twin Towers fell, right? So that would be in 2001, late 2001. Um, and yes, there were a lot of people who cited the fact that what cited and predicted where this would go as you sort of saw citizens in less of a citizenry light and more as your subjects and that's kind of in many ways the patriot did that it sort of like took the the rights of people and instead turned them into sort of suspects throughout the time and then gave the government the right to sort of treat them as that and to investigate them constantly, to listen to their phone calls and their emails and so on. Even, you know, American citizens, uh, we did that. If they if they happen to knew somebody several, you know, I think it was like, was it two friends down or something like that? So if they had a friend of a friend who happened to be involved in something that they shouldn't be, then then suddenly the government says, well, you know, we have the right to, to listen to everything that you do and to chronologue it and keep it forever. And then, of course, the government lied before Congress. Um, the government, the, the NSA lied before Congress and said that we don't have this massive record and then it was released with Edward Snowden and then we decided that he was the bad guy. Yeah, so there's, there's, there's the brief chronology of events. Um, uh, John Cox says the Patriot Act was passed with the legislation even before fully written out. Well, it's not like any of them read, read the um, bills nowadays. I mean, they, they seriously don't. And the bills are so long that they can't. You know, they're passing these bills that are, in many cases, thousands of pages that they haven't read, and yet which are enforced, you know, on the people. And I really think that it would actually make a lot of sense if we actually had a cap on the length um, of these bills, because it's getting ridiculous, it's, and it's done intentionally so they can hide things inside these bills, um, and then we have to deal with it later. Um, okay. Okay, I'll just read your, your guys' comments. Okay. Oh, uh, actually, we had some uh, progress in the sense that um, a judge in Loudoun County um, ordered that students will be allowed to attend schools without masks. Now, Loudoun County, if you remember, is the sort of infamous county out there in Virginia where they tried to put boys in girls' bathrooms. Right, and then they try to remove people from the school board meeting who dared to complain. It's the place where they had the the rapist that they moved around because he wore a skirt and it was bad for politics, you know, because he was you know hiding under the trans thing. That's Loudoun County. It's also an area where they've been trying to force the whole mask issue, even when at a statewide level there's been an effort to eliminate masks in schools. Um, for these kids, because it's known that it's better for them not to not to wear them. Well, 
finally a judge has kind of stepped in and said, okay, enough. Um, you can't do this. It's it's illegal uh, what you're doing. So, you know, good for them. But I noticed that a lot of different changes are m being made now around election time, even where there isn't um, a, a judge stepping in. So, like, in North Carolina, you've got uh, Roy Cooper, the governor, who just moved to tell all localities and cities that they should stop with the forced masking. Again, election year? Um, the same time, Gavin Newsom of California, the governor, one of the very first people to jump on the whole lockdowns thing. And Trump congratulated him, which annoys me to this day, and said he was doing a great job. He wasn't. Um, but in any case, he was one of the first people to be really authoritarian uh, out there in California to take away people's rights, to tell them they couldn't leave their homes, tell them they had to shut down their businesses, tell them they had to wear masks and they had to get vaccines. And he's been like um, threatening to use uh, the, the state's uh, electricity company, you know, PG&E, and tell them, you know, uh, we're going to cut off your electricity if you don't comply, and if you're running parties, we're going to, you know, shut down the house, and all that kind of thing. I mean, I've, I've covered this in, in multiple videos over the years. All of that happened. Now he's like, well, we, we're going to have a plan to, to get back to normal. But it's nothing to do with the election. Nothing. That would, that would be terrible. No, of course, it's nothing to do with the election. He's just, he's just seeing the light. Um, yeah. Um, he did say, though, he did say, but the disease is not going away. That was in his announcement about how we're going to get back to normal. And it's like, um, so w what does that mean exactly? You know, uh, it seems to mean that uh, they're just going to kind of come across a new strain anytime they need to, like maybe after the election, that kind of thing. Um, okay, well, thanks for trying to donate, um, through Stream Elements. Alright, so it didn't work. Well, maybe I should come up with a different method to, uh, to handle this. Not sure what, but I'll, I'll, I'll figure that out. Um, let's see. Uh, Sharon says, totally destroyed the economy. That seemed to be the goal. And that's in, refer in reference to lockdowns, yes. Uh, yes, I think it was the goal. Uh, and what we did more than just destroying the economy, right, is, is destroyed small businesses, which are essential for us to have freedom. And um, maybe that doesn't sound like, like it makes a lot of sense at first. But if you think about it, all right, it is the small businesses that refuse to obey the government. It is the small businesses that refuse to require that their customers wear masks or have a certain medical status or so on. They just want people to come in and they are actually part of the community. It's places like Walmart over in Quebec that are actually agreeing to have people follow the unvaccinated around to make sure they don't buy toasters and they have to only buy food. It's big companies like that that comply. Big companies like that that comply a while pretending to be part of some social justice revolution whenever it's Pride Month or whenever it's, you know, Black History Month or something like that. And suddenly they're like, yeah, of course, we're, we're, we're fighting for, for justice and everything. Um, it's like, but no, not whenever you're up against the government. Then you're not really fighting for justice because you never really were because you're actually just part of the system. So they'll go along with, with Pride Month because that's, you know, a heck of a lot easier because when you're going along with Pride Month, you're joining all of corporate America, to put this in just sort of American terms, all of corporate America, all of the media, all of academia, and then you're like, oh yeah, but we're having a revolution with, you know, we're just so, but we're just fighting, fighting the oppression. It's like, no, you literally are the system. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but when it comes to small businesses, you have individuals, you have, you know, gyms, small stores, grocery stores, restaurants, and so on, where they're just like, nah, we're just not going to, we're not going to be the enforcers of that stuff. And then it stops, right? Because people have other places they can go. They could, you know, in a place like Quebec, let's say, uh, not go to the Walmart and instead go to the small mom and pop store and get what they need. The thing is that due to these lockdowns, so many smaller stores were killed, were decimated uh, by these lockdowns and were never able to reopen again, including some multi-generational businesses were shut down and unable to function. That's something that has almost an unquantifiable amount of damage in terms of just freedom like that. Because what it does is it causes us to just rely on these big mega corporations who whenever the government says to do something, they just do it. They just comply. 
and our our freedom lies in those smaller businesses uh, that are willing to fight back or willing to just simply ignore the government and in many cases that's what we're talking about with, with regards to fight back just just ignore them and allow people to go on with their normal lives you know as if the government wasn't you know giving out one edict after another um, and then you've got, of course, the government that then incentivized people to stay home. And I was like, well, why is there a, well, why is there a labor shortage, you know, with a combination of people being incentivized to stay home through unemployment um, checks that were greater than the amount of money that they were getting, you know, from their regular checks, um, combined with the fact that then when, then when it came time to go to work, they were like, well, if you, if you go to work and decide not to get this check, um, to, to not work, then you have to wear a mask for eight hours a day, let's say. And now you have to get this shot, and then you have to get these other three shots, these other booster shots, and so on. And at a certain point, you're like, well, I can kind of understand why a person would just want to stay at home with his family. I can kind of understand why there might be a labor shortage. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's very easy to kind of understand at that point. But the labor shortage was manufactured. The shutting down of small businesses was absolutely uh, manufactured. And now, in the years that follow, we will hear ad nauseum from the left about how you've just got so much money that the rich have and the poor are getting poorer and the rich are getting richer and it's like yeah that happened due to leftist policies that created a transfer of wealth that was unparalleled in american history and it happened as always happens when you have you know communistic dictates when you have you know dictates coming from the government in support of these larger corporations working against the smaller corporations I mean, that's what you had for the benefit of the corporations that are willing to sort of obey the most. That's what you actually have whenever you have sort of like, you know, both communistic, I think communists, of course, eventually they get taken over by the government, uh, but certainly fascistic as well. Um, uh, uh, certainly fascistic as well, uh, government structures. So, yeah. Um... I'm probably going to wrap up the show um, fairly soon, so I'm just kind of giving you giving you a heads up on that. I know, I know it's, it's on the hour, but I, I do want to get away from doing, like, really long streams, like an hour 20, and just kind of cap it on an hour, and then do little shows throughout the week. I think that's a better way for us to go. I think it's a better way for us to sort of um, progress. And I say we, because I, like, I see this as kind of like this mutual effort between, you know, you and I, you being like, you know, one collective individual, sort of. No, seriously, I, I do think that's a, a better way because I think that it makes it easier for you guys to actually share different things with friends and that sort of thing. When you don't feel like engaging in an argument with somebody online, you can just kind of send them a single topic video and say, just just listen to this and she'll argue on your, uh, you know, on my behalf, so to speak. Um, Richard Toth says, soon your infant will be getting the shot and updates every year. Well, yeah, they're actually, they're going for that. Um, they really are pushing for it, and I don't know how many people will be willing to comply with that. It, it makes me shudder to think about. And yes, the hospitals were reimbursed, reimbursed sorry, if, if the right cause was found. So, yeah. Okay, and... All right. Yeah, I think I'm just going to go ahead and, and end the show for, uh, for now. But I do want to thank you guys uh, for everything. As I've, I think I said this a few weeks ago, but it's it's been a very difficult time for me over the last few months. And so I, I do appreciate everything from you guys. You know, um, some of you donate to help support the show. Some of you on subscribe stars. Some of you come through the, the website directly for that. Um, others just send me these emails um, throughout the week, and you know the many cases very edifying and some of you keep me in prayer and i do appreciate all of it um so thank you um zimbo says do you read the comments off live i did that one um i'm not sure what you mean beside that um so uh yeah um krista espival do you know about the guy who hacked give send go you know, he's the guy who's behind anonymous i believe yeah um so sorry <laughs> It's, it seems so ironic when you have somebody who has spent a lot of time supposedly, you know, fighting the system and so on, and then is going to then become such an intrinsic part of the system to try and infringe upon uh, people's rights, or to support the, the groups that are infringing upon people's rights. That's what's really going on there, and it's just kind of... Um, 
shocking, but that's, that's kind of like the leftist dogma, right? It's like, there's just this amazing level of hypocrisy there. Um, I'll be changing backgrounds soon, Sharon. Um, so, yes, I will not be keeping these, I will not be keeping these curtains forever. Um, as much as, you know, everyone loves the 70s. No, no, nobody loves the 70s, but uh, yes, I, I will be getting rid of them eventually, uh, I promise, and things will be better, uh, given enough time. So just stick with me and we will, we will fix it. But thank you again for joining me tonight. All right, guys, have a wonderful night. Bye-bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider helping to support it. You can give a one-time donation or buy a branded mug at thecrusadergal.com. Or you can donate monthly by searching for my name, Sarah Corrier, at Subscribestar. Thank you so much. I couldn't do this without your support. And whether you can help financially or not, don't forget to tell your friends. Big Tech isn't going to help me spread the word. Thank you.